Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Let's Sleep On It, Reclaiming Parenthood, the podcast. And I'm your host, Taylor Kulik, a sleep and well-being specialist and occupational therapist. My mission with this podcast is to examine the parenting narratives that dominate our culture and grow together as parents. Here, we will talk about biological infant sleep, as well as many other parenting-related topics. And you'll also hear real empowering journeys from parents who are parenting against the grain. I hope that you walk away from each episode feeling inspired, empowered, and supported. Please remember that none of the information shared in this podcast is medical advice, and you should always speak with a trusted healthcare provider if you have any concerns. Let's dive into today's episode. I love sharing my favorite products with y'all, and right now I want to tell you about my favorite cleaning product. We try to be very mindful about the products that we bring into our house, especially now that we have kids. We love Branch Basics because it's a non-toxic, fragrance-free, just generally human-safe product that you can use for all of your cleaning needs. Literally, we use it for everything in our house, plus we use it for hand wash and for laundry, which makes it super cost-effective. Go to branchbasics.com and you can use the code TaylorKulik to save 10% off of the starter kits. Hi, everybody, and welcome. I am super excited today. I have my team member, Jen, here with me today to share her sleep journey. So I um, wanted with this podcast to have a bunch of different different themes and topics, including educational topics and interviews with experts. But then one of the things that I also wanted to include was hearing, letting you hear other parents' stories about their sleep journeys with their children and how they got to where they are without sleep training. Because I think those are the stories that we don't hear a lot about in our society. We hear a lot about sleep training um, and parents that have sleep trained and have success with sleep training, but we don't hear about the parents that have had success, um, whatever that means to them, right? without sleep training. And so I thought it would be really cool to have Jen here as our first parent to share her sleep journey with her children. And I thought that would be a really cool way for you guys to kind of get to know her as well. So welcome, Jen. Do you want to just introduce yourself a little bit? I kind of already did, Uh, but just a little more. Hi, thank you so much, Taylor, for having me here. I just feel that this is is such a wonderful experience and I feel so honored to be part of your team. Um, and yeah, I'm just excited to be a part of this team and, and grow with you uh, alongside you. So um, my name is Jen and I have a five-year-old and a two and a half-year-old now. And I think that this journey has been a rocky experience for me for sure, but I have learned so much along the way that I'm obviously excited to share. I also work with children and have worked with children for a very long period of time, over a decade for sure in the school board um, and learning through, you know, ways to connect with them in different ways. I mean, obviously I think that working as a child and youth worker, there are definitely things that come up in terms of behavior and how we can address these behaviors with children and and where that goes. But I think that the most um, the most growth that I've had along my way is just really getting to know the children individually, uh, what their unique needs are, and then connecting on deeper levels with them for sure. 
So I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited to have you. You're so sweet. So let's dive into your journey, your sleep journey or your, you know, your child's sleep journey. Yeah. So Tell us about it. I think it's, I mean, it's definitely, there's a lot that I could share for sure. And I could definitely talk to you for hours about sleep, but I think what really brings me here is that I really did feel a little bit robbed from a good portion of my motherhood journey with my oldest. And I was really misled until I found my way back. So I wish that I knew that there were different ways to support children to sleep with my oldest. I wish that um, that would let me truly explore who I was, who she was, and instead of trying to, you know, get her to fit in this box with all of the other children, unicorn babies who, you know, slept through the night and had wonderful sleep journeys that I didn't even know existed. <laughs> Um, so unfortunately, postpartum depression did get the better part of me. However, I do know that this is a part of my journey that has taught me a great deal about who I am, what I value, and of course has brought me here with you today. So I actually have nothing negative to say. When I was thinking back, I had nothing negative to say about my pregnancy with my oldest. And I could honestly say that I was floating the entire time. I love being pregnant. I read all of the books about labor, exercised a great deal and really did feel fantastic. For those of you who are cursing me a little bit, I had a rougher, a rougher period with my second. Um, and so I do, I did experience some of those turbulence moments as well. Um, but <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, That's great though. Good for <laughs> you. I feel like, I feel like first pre pregnancies for a lot of women are a little bit easier than subsequent pregnancies. I know everybody's different, but that was my experience as well. Oh, good. Yeah. I do feel like it was just a wonderful experience. You're just like mm -hmm. floating and maybe it's just because you're so excited, but I do think that a lot of the focus tends to go towards you know, the actual birth versus what happens after and all of that. So I definitely do think that I was part of that. And I, I paid attention a little too closely to that area, which I mean, I should have, but also it didn't allow me to focus much on what was the, what was going to happen next and what, where I should go, I guess. Um, so birth came and it wasn't really a cup of tea, but I felt as though I prepared for my body for this marathon that was about to take place, uh, take place. And it really did unfold quite beautifully, I must say. Um, and I actually love talking to parents too about their birth as well. I think it comes up a lot in our, in our sleep work together and, um, you know, having a, a, a chance to process how that birth was for them, um, can really just take you to a different spot on how you feel about, you know, kind of everything really in, in, in your, in your world, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we labored kind of all night. Our beautiful girl joined us at 6 a.m. the first day of school, which is a little bit ironic because as you know, I do work in the school board, <laughs> so I often uh, reflect on that too. I wish that someone had told me that I should rest at this point because this was the biggest stretch of sleep that your baby gives you for a while. They also encounter this marathon coming down the birth canal. And instead I was on this high and I was excited for everyone to visit and come see the baby. And now I have birthed all night and had visitors all day. I had already put myself very last and in the equation without even realizing it. And 
yeah, I guess just a little reflection on that. I wish that I had just kind of dived in a little bit deeper as to really just channeling into what my body needed after that marathon as well as my baby. You know, mm -hmm. I think that sometimes that gets forgotten. Yeah. Um, I remember bringing my baby home that evening. I was so excited to have her home and, and for myself to get a good night rest after being awake uh, for what had felt like forever. I swaddled her up so tight because that was what they tell you to do. <laughs> Laid her in the bassinet beside my bed, brushed my teeth, got all cozy in the bed, and 15 minutes later, she was nonstop crying. I joke that she cried for about seven months straight after that, but that really isn't that far off from the truth. <laughs> The only way we got any sleep that night was with her laying on my chest and laying on the couch uh, because I was also terrified of co-sleeping. So that was obviously the safer option. And we started our journey together. Uh, Jen, I just, so I, I want to just say, I was just thinking about what you said, that you weren't listening to your body and your, your needs for rest and all of that. And I think it's also so easy for us to kind of blame ourselves for that. But it's really not our fault because as first-time parents, as first-time moms, how do we know? How do we know that we should be resting right after birth? How do we know about what's going to come? Because we're not talking about it. Like in general, people are not sharing this information with us. And wouldn't it be so nice if we didn't have to just guess and we could just get the truth from people before we have a baby and kind of know what to expect? It's so true, isn't it? You're supposed to live in this, you know, perfect world and everything is so beautiful and wonderful and you know all of these visitors can come and 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 you can just you know just be exhausted without actually truly emphasizing how you're feeling and what you actually need it almost takes away from allowing yourself to feel what you actually need to feel mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah and it shouldn't be the new mother who's just given birth that is responsible for her own well-being and sticking up for herself and telling people not to come like it should be the village, the family, the friends that are caring for the new mother and making sure that she's getting the rest that she needs. And it's just so unfortunate that that's not the norm in, in, our, in our culture. It is the norm in so many other cultures around the world, which is, is amazing and so beautiful the way that they deal with postpartum and support mothers through postpartum. Yeah, it's so true. It's, it's very difficult to navigate in so many aspects for sure. Yeah. So, she napped on my chest and most days uh, she would sometimes settle or sorry, sometimes she would settle beside me in the bed. However, she spent majority of her time with me on my chest um, or laying very close. I didn't really know any better. She was a fussy baby and this messed with a lot of my thoughts on if I was the right parent for her and but we were getting by okay. She was, you know, settled when she was on me and, and staying close to me. And I now know that this is very normal and this is kind of what she needed and, and probably what I needed as well. I had many thoughts about what I could be doing wrong and why she was upset all of the time. Why did she spend most of her time crying? Most of my friends could lay their babies down, put them in swings, or maybe they wouldn't scream in the car everywhere that they went. And I was feeling a bit defeated. After all, I thought I was going to learn another language on this mat leave. And I don't know, can you relate? Like, did you think that you were gonna be doing a million things on your mat leave and, and not 
laying with a baby on your chest the whole time? I don't know. Yes, totally. I totally thought that my baby was just going to take these beautiful long naps in the crib. And, you know, those first, those early days, I knew that baby slept a lot. So I thought I'm just going to cook a lot and clean a lot. And maybe I'll read books and, and start new hobbies. And that just, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. So many unrealistic expectations on these maps. Yeah. Like these poor children, they're set up, right? <laughs> yeah. So we did some checkups for her and she was deemed to be a colicky baby. This is a term that I still despise uh, with every ounce in me, really. I still don't even understand it. For me, it's just telling me that my baby cries a lot more than the average baby. But newsflash, I was living it. And I already knew that. I could have told you all of that. <laughs> so for me, this just, uh, just again confirmed even more that I didn't know what was going on and why my baby was crying so much. The pediatrician told me that she likely had reflux. So we addressed that avenue and kept an incline after eating, uh, which also meant that I couldn't really nurse to sleep, uh, which was really challenging for me. Uh, we also tried some other things too. And then I was told she would likely just outgrow this stage. When I came back a few weeks later and nothing had changed, he assured me that she was getting enough feeds and that she was gaining weight. She told me that she should be able to go four to five hour stretches at night and that she could most definitely go three to four hours without feeds during the day. I also mentioned that I use a yoga ball and pacifier to help her fall asleep. And he said that at four months of age is when we can start to sleep train because the four, four month sleep regression, which we call progression. And I think you're probably going to talk about that a little bit more. He told me I would likely have to get rid of the yoga ball and the pacifier in order for this sleep training to work. This was, this was so hard for me, Taylor. I like, I get a little bit emotional just even thinking about all of this and talking about bringing me back to that spot, yeah. you know? I know, same. And, you know, I hear, I hear stories. I listen to parents, whether it's in DMs, you know, in direct messages on Instagram or um, just clients that I'm talking with and calling. And they tell me these stories of what their pediatrician has told them and what they went through in those early months. And it never gets easier to hear. It always takes me back to, it's very triggering because there's still so many healthcare professionals out there giving parents this kind of information. And you and I know now that it's, it's inaccurate and it's just wrong. It's just, I mean, it's just bad information, but so many parents don't know that. And I think that's why probably one of the major reasons why we're both here doing what we do. For sure. And I think there is a lot of growth to be said out of all of that too, but it's just so hard that it had to take such a mm -hmm. difficult route, I guess. Yeah. After hearing this, all I heard was is that I'm feeding my baby too much and that she was waking in the night because of it. I needed to stop bouncing on a yoga ball, yet another reason to doubt my parenting choices. And I trusted him. I trusted his opinion. He had been doing this for a lot longer than I was parenting for. And this was my first child. So I didn't really have any reason to not believe him. And, and it seemed like a very normal culture. It still does seem like a very normal culture. I mean, we have our own bubbles where we kind of talk about different sleep strategies and, and what we kind of believe in. But I think it is still such a huge part of culture to sleep train and it to be normal. And, and I think that that's a little bit misleading maybe. Mm -hmm, for sure. 
So it became my mission at this point then to teach my child how to sleep because that would make her stop crying, that would make me a good mother, and it would solve a lot of our issues. I would spread out her feeds because she should be able to feed more efficiently and less amounts during the day and night. That's what I was told. So we attempted sleep training for, I was trying to reflect on how long we tried this for. I think it was three days. It consumed me and went against all of my parental instincts. I waited on the outside of the door, the timer went off and it kept saying, they, they kept saying, so friends or family kept saying it wouldn't take as long. And after the third day, it would be easier. I couldn't do it anymore. It didn't work. And I still to this day believe it didn't work because of how terrible I felt. In many ways, I'm kind of glad that it didn't work, to be honest. It really just did. It was very hard to, to work through. And I, I think it was very challenging to, to work through those, those moments. And, and she was communicating to me how, how I didn't feel good and she didn't feel good for it. And so I think that that was a lot of growth that happened in that time too, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, Jen, was she, was she four months at this time? Yeah, she was okay. around four months. I was trying to reflect. It was either four months or four and a half months, but mm -hmm. yeah, in around there. Mm -hmm. So in these days, my mental health hit an ultimate low. I spent most of my days crying, feeling like I was failing for, you know, sleep training not working, failing because she was still so upset majority of the time. I was failing because I couldn't make her sleep. And at this point, my milk had completely dried up. And this was probably the biggest pivotal moment in my journey. I had attempted to listen to everyone else who wasn't living it like I was. They weren't there. They weren't in those moments with me. I was listening to them, but they weren't there. And that's so frustrating. Mm -hmm. I was listening to people who were not feeling the same way as me or, you know, going through those exact moments with me. I felt like a part of my motherhood had really been robbed by other people pointing me in the wrong directions. And, but then were nowhere to be found when I needed them. So, this is when I really decided that I needed to find my own parenting journey. I was done with this. I started pumping in efforts to get my supply to return. I connected with an IBCLC. I brought the yoga ball back. I gave the soother back. I continued on my rocky road and I finally found someone who spoke the same language as me in regards to sleep. And that person uh, was Lauren. So we are certified um, through Lauren, uh, the baby led sleep. Um, and she was the only one who said, keep the soother and keep the bouncing if you want to, but you don't need to. A lot of my uh, journey with my oldest uh, is repressed and I, I really don't remember a lot of that first year because it's I was so consumed. I, I was consumed trying to get it all right and going with the grains and then against the grains. Um, it did, however, allow me to learn a lot about myself and becoming a mother as we all do. And I think that the most important thing that I, that came out of it was that I learned to trust myself along, along the way. Um, so yeah, I guess that's kind of my story with my oldest and, and we really did hit our rocky roads and it was just such a challenging experience that I just, I really just feel if, if anybody can hear this and is listening to this, just know that, you know, you aren't alone if you've experienced some of these things or all of these things. And, and there is light at the end of the tunnel. But I think that the most important thing is, is to listen to yourself and to trust your instincts along the way so that you can not be so consumed by the outside world and what you're supposed to be doing. 
Yeah. I love that. I love that. And I, I relate so much to what you said about not being able to remember so much of that first year. And it, you know, you've, it's almost like repressed for you. And I think I hear this a lot too. I had the same experience. I remember very little of my daughter's first six months of life, aside from all of the time I spent in her dark nursery during the day, trying to make her sleep by herself. And I do think that this can be really traumatizing sleep the way we handle sleep in those early days and just having an, having a newborn and not knowing what to expect, I think can be really traumatizing. Being told to go against our intuition can be really traumatizing. And we're not talking about that very much. The trauma that this kind of system is causing so many, so many parents. It's really interesting to me. It's so true. And it makes me just reflect a little bit on You know, I did experience postpartum with my second one, um, probably for different reasons, but it does make me reflect on, hang on, would I have experienced so much postpartum depression if this was normalized, if this was talked about more, if we, you know, talked about how challenging it is to wake up with a baby, but also that that is their brains, you know, wiring just as they should be and developing just as they need to be and you know, calling out to us because they need to be. Yes. And Jen, this is an area I struggle so much with because I know that sleep is so important for mental health, but the way that our culture, our society, the medical system really deals with it right now for the most part is telling parents that they need to sleep train. They really only focus on the sleep aspect of it. And most healthcare providers, not all, but most don't really look at all of the reasons why a mother can experience postpartum depression and anxiety. There's so many reasons. There's nutritional deficiencies. There's, um, you know, hormonal imbalances. And then on top of that, if you're being told that you're parenting wrong and that you can't trust your instincts and that there's something wrong with your baby and you're making bad decisions and this isn't normal, of course, we're going to feel depressed or maybe anxious or maybe both. Of course. I mean, how could we not? And I've talked with so many parents who, because that was my experience. I had, I am an anxious person in general, but I had severe postpartum anxiety in those first six months of my daughter's life. And it got so much better once I realized that she was actually just sleeping like a very normal baby and that there wasn't anything wrong with either of us. And I don't know that I would have totally avoided the postpartum anxiety had I known better, but I do think it would have been a much different and much more positive and enjoyable experience for me had I known the truth about infant sleep and had I been encouraged to hold her for naps and snuggle with, I mean, I didn't hardly snuggle with my baby at all. And I like, I I always want to cry just like thinking about that. I hardly held her when she slept. And that's really sad to me. And how can, how can mothers not experience depression and anxiety when they're being told they shouldn't be connecting on that level with their baby or they're doing it too much or that it's wrong. And especially because it again goes against what we're supposed to be doing. Like we are supposed to be snuggling those, like we just had that baby inside of us for nine months and our bodies are essentially telling us we need to keep them close. We need to keep them like you know, on us and safe and secure and all of those things. And I feel like that is going against, you know, how we feel. And I also wanted to just highlight a little bit on, I think there's something to be said about, you know, maybe a little bit about the 
reward system or kind of how it feels. I know that for me, if my daughter had a good night's sleep, again, that verified that I was doing something right. Like I was, if my daughter slept, you know, the 12 hours, then that confirmed for me that I was, again, doing it right. Um, instead, I, I really think that it's important to reflect on that you're still doing some, you could do everything right. You could do everything perfect in the day, but your baby could still wake up several times in the night because that is just what they need to be doing right now. And that is, they're, they're just doing what they need. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And why can't, can we shift that to, instead of, you know, reinforcing the idea of sleeping through the night equals good, good parenting, good baby, whatever it is, how about we normalize, you know, how is your baby feeding at night? Are they, are they sleeping well between feeds? Are they feeding a few times in the, you know, even, and it's, it's fine if your baby isn't feeding, if they don't need to feed, but we have to normalize it. Oh, you know, you're doing an amazing job being, you know, supporting your baby. You're doing an amazing job. And not that we all need positive reinforcement because there's that aspect of it too, but it's helpful. I think as humans and parents, new parents, especially, we want to know that what we're doing is right. And I think part of the problem is we are seeking external validation. And so can we shift that to validating mothers and parents, caregivers for snuggling their babies, for holding their babies, for giving their baby exactly what they need. It's not independence that's, you know, independence is really placed on this pedestal, but it shouldn't be. It's not what matters as a bait for babies. It's not what matters at all. And it's not going to end up um, helping babies and parents to meet their long-term goals. It's so true. And, and we're all looking for this independence, but first we must foster that, you know, that dependence. And so we're forcing something that isn't really necessarily ready. And it's, I would say by both parties, I think that for babies and for us and, Anyways, I just think that it goes in so many, so many ways there for sure. But mm-hmm. I had thought that because I had been through so much with my oldest, that my second one was actually going to be just easy peasy. Like I knew everything and I could expect, you know, I had a pretty traumatizing experience um, and surely I could manage it all. But I was actually so incredibly wrong. My second had brought a whole other element of challenges for me that I needed to explore. And I found myself yet again challenged by all of this. At this time, I, was, I felt uh, well-equipped though. I was taking the sleep certification at the time. But the most important thing that I did realize is that every child is so different and letting go of these unrealistic expectations was the key. So parenting is so incredibly hard and it, that doesn't, I mean, I think for me, I was always looking for the easier way out, right? If, if, if it was easier, then I was doing a better job. Um, but I think that parenting itself is, is just really hard. I think you have to work through a lot of stuff that maybe you need to process and how you are feeling and, and how all of that is broken down. And so I think that really my advice for new parents is to trust yourself and, and try to ignore the noise and know that every baby is so different. So we really can't compare apples to apples and, and, and expect the same kind of outcomes everywhere we look. Definitely. Yep. Jen, I'm so curious if you're willing to share how your oldest is sleeping now because you stopped sleep training at a pretty young age and how your youngest sleeps as well, because I think parents want to hear that they're going to be okay. (laughs) you know, even if they don't sleep train, their child will eventually sleep. 
Yeah, great question. So yeah, I, I mean, I attempted, I, as we know, I have attempted to train my oldest and it didn't work. And we actually lay beside her to fall asleep every single night. This is really important for us actually we we have taken that we really enjoy that time we really enjoy snuggling we read a book it's kind of our time to reflect on the day and you know she has a busy schedule so her to kind of break down how her day went and yeah we do snuggle uh until she falls asleep and she's right asleep there's no sleepy no drowsy no whatever uh we and then she wakes up in the morning and uh i mean she might go through something in the middle of the night and come and give give us a little kiss and say she misses us and, and whatever. We might cuddle her back in the bed. Um, but really that's, for the most part, she's kind of well-equipped there and, and just kind of managing, you know, as she needs to. And then I think that uh, in comparison, our second one, we never did sleep train. Um, I still, you know, rock and do songs until she's asleep. And then I, place her in her bed and she you know is sleeping through the night as well and we see her in the morning as well and so I don't think that there's for me um you know I think it's important to talk about how whatever your sleep journey looks like right whatever that looks like for you it is okay some parents you know want to co-sleep and as long as they're doing it safely and kind of making sure that they feel okay with it then they should be and if but that doesn't mean that you have to do that forever. It also doesn't mean that um, that if you ever want them to sleep in their own bed, that they're never going to, right? I think that I think that we often get caught on the bigger, like the bigger outcomes. Like, well, if I, you know, rock my baby to sleep tonight, then she's never going to sleep through the night. Or if I do this now, then I have to do it forever. Um, it doesn't it doesn't really work like that I think it's more about those relationships and those those connection pieces that you know sleep is such a vulnerable state and if we are taking um if we are taking that into consideration at those sleep times then it kind of kind of reframe the outcome that's so far in the distance right I mean your child isn't going to be going to college and needing to be rocked to sleep or is going to wake up several times in the night looking for you right <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I, th I think that so much of what drives our parenting decisions, especially surrounding sleep in those early days, those early years is fear, right? This fear. And we're told, we're told to fear certain things. We're, we're warned by people that if we don't get our, our baby out of our bed, they'll sleep there forever. If we don't stop rocking them, they'll always rely on this bad, you know, quote unquote habit. And that's just not true. I mean, like you said, our babies, our child's needs evolve over time. And we can always shift patterns that don't work for us anymore. And I think my opinion is that a lot of times it's easier to shift these patterns as our baby or child gets a little bit older because they can communicate with us and they can understand more and they just reach these more mature levels of attachment towards us. Um, and so they can take, they can handle a little bit more separation as they get older. But again, it goes back to they first have to be able to depend on us. And so we don't need to be, just like you said, we don't need to be fearful in the moment when we're rocking our little baby or nursing our little baby to sleep that they're going to do this forever because they're just not, they're not going to do this forever. They're really not. I, I have never met an 18 year old who's still nursing to sleep or being rocked to sleep. I just haven't. Have you? 
I'm curious. No, I have not. And that's so, that's, you know, I often hear, well, if I stop rocking now, then it's easier than if I stop rocking later. And so I love what you brought, what you just brought up about, you know, it, how it can be a little bit, it can be different. It's a different dynamic later. So, I mean, there's no set age that you have to change a pattern or have to change anything. I think this is when you kind of dive into if it doesn't feel right to you anymore and you want to change it, then it's okay to change it. But it's not like we have to completely shut the door and, 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 you know, um, you know, not address those needs or, or those kinds of things along the way, just because we want to change something. So yes, totally. There's ways to change it and still be supportive and respectful, which is what we help families with. And, um, and also, you know, it's what is easier. So if it's easier to change that pattern earlier rather than later, what does that mean to you? Because in my opinion, what, in my experience with my babies is that it's not easy at all to stop rocking them to sleep because they're very, um, sensitive. My, I have had two very sensitive babies and they really need that movement sometimes to get to sleep. Not sometimes, most of the time when they're, when they were both babies, I have one baby now, one toddler, they've both needed that rocking. And it's been very difficult to stop that. Um, with my daughter, we did, I, I don't need to rock her to sleep anymore. My husband still likes to rock her to sleep for a few minutes because it's their bonding time. And then she lays down and they lay down in bed together and he, he, um, lays with her until she falls asleep. So they choose to have that, but I decided I can't rock a three-year-old to sleep. And so I don't, and we changed that pattern and it was much easier when she was a toddler. Um, and I think I stopped rocking her to sleep when she was probably like 18 months, months old because she was just too heavy for me, but it was much easier for me to change that dynamic because she was starting to become more receptive to our words. She was starting to understand more and she just didn't need the rocking quite as much. So what is easy? You know, in my opinion, it's not always easier to change those patterns early on. In my opinion, and this is just my perspective and my experience, it's e been easier for me with my little babies to just support them in the e in the, the way that they will get them to sleep the quickest. And that's usually rocking or nursing. So I think it's also what, you know, let's define our terms. What does easy mean to you? Because easy might mean something different to the, your pediatrician who is telling you this information. Yeah, great point, for sure. And I think that that's something to reflect on as well, too. Like, if it's, if it's easier, it doesn't always mean that it's better either. Exactly. Right? Like, I, I feel like that's not always the, the best solution, I guess. Um, but I like what you said, too. I think you what you said was important, because I think it's a lot of what parents might fear is that if you know, if mom is the only one that can get baby to sleep and that's by nursing or rocking, then dad needs, dad can't do bedtime or dad can't do that either. But it, I think you just highlighted there in your story that there's different dynamics and different relationships being formed and different um, ways that, you know, they have to explore their relationship and what's going to work for their bedtime. That's going to be completely different from somebody else. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. It's really, it's also interesting, interesting to me, which I guess is why we do, I do this work, right? Cause I think it's interesting. And I love, um, I love supporting families to figure out what works best for them. And you don't have to listen to everybody else and what works best for everybody else, because all that really matters is what works best for your child and you, your family. That's all that matters in the, in the end. So it's so true. And I, and I think that that 
is a little bit where some of those, you know, some generic, like, I think I was so focused on, well, everybody needs, to, every baby needs to go to sleep like this. And this needs to work for my baby. And because it wasn't, again, fitting in that box, then I just felt like, again, I was doing something wrong or she, like something was terribly wrong with her when really I'm a highly sensitive parent and she's a highly sensitive kid. And so this is going to impact us a great deal and how we choose to kind of evolve in our relationship together, really. But mm -hmm. definitely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. It was so, I haven't actually heard the entire thing. So it was really nice for me to hear too and get to know you a little bit better in that, in that way. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And again, I think it's just such, such a wonderful opportunity to be part of your team and just working alongside you and, and learning and growing together. And I just, I, I love every minute of it. So thanks so much Aww. for letting me share my story and get it out there. You're so sweet. And for, so for those of you who don't know, because I didn't mention this earlier, I did mention that Jen is um, a team member. And so Jen does offer support. Um, and so I currently only offer hourly calls and 30 minute calls, but Jen does also, she offers those calls as well, but she also offers more comprehensive support packages, if that's something that you're looking for. So Jen, do you want to just talk for just a minute about the different packages that you offer? Yeah, absolutely. So like Taylor, uh, I also have, I have those, um, those hour and half an hour consults and, and so, um, but in addition to that, we have the Let's Chat package, and this is a, um, a con uh, an intake analysis of, of kind of what's going on. So this really just kind of helps us dive in deep as to what is going on and paints the picture for what's happening in your family. And I like to really just tell families, this has a lot of questions, but it really just, again, paints the picture because we can't be there. Um, and then we will have, an hour consult so we'll go over all of the intake together and talk about you know what came up for us what are your specific goals and what are your um what is it that you'd like to focus on again i'm not going to tell you that you need to stop and stop doing something that is working for you and your family so that's for you to kind of decide and bring to me and, and we can talk about what is going on specifically for your baby and your family there and then after that there's um in about two weeks, I do a follow-up email where we kind of address, okay, where have we gotten with the strategies that we have put in place? How do you feel about things? And do you have any questions? The other one is the sleep support package, and this is pretty intense. Um, it's about five weeks of support, and it goes through, again, everything. So we have an intake review. We have about an hour-long discussion going over our intake analysis. And then we really dive in deep, um, looking at sleep foundations. And then um, we start our daily logs and daily communication. So this is kind of for if we're having, you know, some if we're troubleshooting through some, some bigger areas, maybe it is focusing on um, some examples would be, you know, changing our uh, sleep locations, like maybe we want to get out of the family bed into their own sleep space. Maybe it is, you know, looking at night weaning if they're over a year of age. And, and this is really kind of for um, uh, our toddlers as well, who are just kind of like working through emotions and, and those kind of dynamics. I mean, I think that our whole thing isn't just about sleep. It's more about, you know, parenting and, and how we can kind of dive in deep and what our children are really trying to say to us. Um, because again, bedtime and sleep times are the biggest separation of the day. And so what is that going to look like specifically for your family and what truly is happening there? Is it, you know, 
looking at too much separation during the day. So how can we focus in on that in our bedtimes or our overnights or, or whatever that might look like. So um, both of these, um, again, both of these intense packages kind of involve an intake review where we kind of sit down. And But I think what I like to emphasize too is that this kind of goes whatever direction that you're in. So I'm not here to tell you that you need to change anything specific, but it's really just focusing in on your family specific goals and, and unique um, things that you would like to set in place. Great. I love that. I also, I always say, you know, a lot of people come from just kind of knowing about conventional sleep training approaches. And so, you know, if you're wanting to get like a step-by-step -step sleep plan, this is not what we do. And this, even the support packages, I like to think of it more as a, it's a collaborative um, approach where we work together to figure out what is going to be best for your family, but really we're more of more so just guiding you towards reaching your goals, giving you options. We're never going to tell you, you need to do this. You need to change this. If that's something that doesn't work for you, because ultimately, like we've said, like you've kind of talked about too, this is all really, we want to emphasize um, parents being able to trust their intuition and, and follow their heart when it comes, especially when it comes to their child's sleep. Yeah, great point. And I always remind families too, we could collaborate together and come up with a plan together, but then all of a sudden it doesn't feel good, doesn't feel right. Well, that to me is a strong stop. We're stopping and we are reassessing and reevaluating what is going on for us. And so, um, again, I can't give you a step-by-step -step plan because anything can come up along the way that doesn't feel right. And then we just have to reevaluate. Yeah, sure. Totally. All right, Jen, well, thank you again so much for joining us. It was great. Thanks so much for having me. It was, I loved it, loved everything about it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave a review if you feel called to. It really helps our message reach more parents. You can also follow me on Instagram at Taylor Kulik for similar content or visit my website at www.taylorkulik.com. I offer online courses where we really dive into infant and toddler sleep holistically. And we also offer one-to-one -one holistic sleep support services if you're looking to improve your child's sleep or shift patterns without sleep training. If you know a parent who would benefit from this podcast, please share. And if you'd like to financially support this podcast to allow me to create more episodes more often, you can visit anchor.fm slash Taylor I hope you'll join me next time.